Good evening, everybody, and welcome to welcome to tonight's episode of of Spark. Uh, my name is David Udolph, and uh, we're getting some reverb here. Reverb, good for music, not so good for Crowdcast. No, no. Uh, I don't know why that's happening. But anyway, um, can everybody hear me? I think it's good now. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, but welcome to tonight's episode of Spark. My name is Dr. David Udolph, one of your co-hosts. Uh, I'm a psychologist in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, we hope to inspire you. And I think you're in for a really great evening. I'm going to turn things over now to Peter Lawson-Jones, my co-host, who will introduce our special guest for tonight's show. Thank you, Dave. And for those of you who don't already know this, Dave and I are high school classmates, Shaker Heights class of 2011, right, Dave? Is, I think that's what it was. Right? Yeah, 2011. <laughs> that's our story. And, I did, and that's not BC. That's 2011 AD. Hey, we, we're so happy that you are joining us uh, for our third episode of Spark, uh, inspirational conversations that will ignite your success. As Dave said, I'm Peter Lawson-Jones, former elected official, lawyer, consultant, actor, and playwright. But enough about Dave and me, because we have an extraordinary guest this evening, a longtime friend of, of both of ours. Uh, and how would we describe him? Well, he is an award-winning uh, chef. He is an entrepreneur. He is uh, a college hockey official, referee. Uh, but most importantly, he's one of our more celebrated humanitarians. And that's why we're just so pleased to have with us today uh, Cleveland's own Brian Krostowski. Brandon, when I say Brian, Brandon I'm so worried about pronouncing your last name, which is a lot more difficult than Jones. So his name is his name is Brandon, and you graduated Brandon in 1971, not 2011. <laughs> so, Brandon, welcome to Spark. Uh, thanks for taking our time. Because we know you up until last few minutes, you were working at the restaurant. Why, why don't you? Why don't we kick it off? Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, your family, some of those details before we get into the nitty gritty of, of all of your extraordinary and numerous endeavors. Yeah, for sure. And uh, thanks for having me on, David. Thanks for having me on, Peter. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure. Uh, well, I mean, a little bit about myself, you know, born and raised uh, Detroit, Michigan. Uh, family, I suppose, you know, your average family. Uh, single mom for a long time, raised us three boys. Uh, so we, we, we had a lot of fun growing up, right? And, you know, I don't have much to say about my childhood. It was it was great, dude. You're a kid. You don't know what you don't know. And and just liked, um, liked to get out there, man. Liked to have fun, maybe a little bit too much fun. Uh, barely squeaked by high school, but I made it nonetheless. And, um, you know, here we are today talking. And, and while you were in high school, uh, you, some of your activities, some of your athletic and other interests? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, I was yeah, always yeah, into yeah. sports. Um, always into sports. So I played 
baseball, basketball was probably the main sport. Uh, you know, anytime there's a pickup game, you could you could find me there. So I'd say there's there wasn't um, no fabulous you know professional career in the sporting arena, but always out there on the court, man. Always out there on the diamond, doing something, but uh, always having fun. And uh, yeah, uh, pretty straightforward, Peter. Okay. Okay. And I, and, I, and I can attest to the fact I can attest to the fact that he still has a good jump shot because I, I saw it up close and personal uh, when we were just shooting, practicing, shooting some hoops uh, on July 4th last year. So he still has game and a pretty good volleyball player as well. But but on to uh, the important things. Tell us now you're known for your Edwin's empire. And I say empire in this context in a very positive way. I mean, there's Edwin's restaurant, there's Edwin's two, there's Edwin's leadership and restaurant institute. And of course, there's Edwin's a life skills center campus. Tell us how you went about building. I think you started with the restaurant, but tell us how you built this uh, wonderful collection of businesses and industries. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it for me, this is you know, I like to tell people it's it's this like 10-year overnight success, right? There was an idea in 2004 that I wanted to bring to reality. And you know, I was in New York City at the time, thought this through. I wanted to come to Cleveland. Cleveland had the the really the most distressed city at that time, the most the worst high school graduation rate. Uh, and I had a feeling that if there was a need, that's where the need was. And, and, and just worked tirelessly and try to build and construct the plan. Eventually moved here to Cleveland in 2008 and, um, you know, started working here and slowly putting brick by brick together the, um, you know, the foundation for what you see today at Edwin. So it's, it's, it's really not fair to say, hey, you know, open this restaurant and all this stuff happened. What a miracle, right? It was easy. It was long, man. It was long and hard. It was never done in this country. It was the first of its kind and still, you know, the benchmark for social enterprise and, and helping men and women coming home and out of prison. So um, uh, what do we do? We have the, the program started in Grafton Prison. Okay, that's where I started teaching inside Grafton Correctional Camp. Uh, the class 25 inmates, we still hold that class today where we go in for eight months a year on Saturdays, teach fine dining basics from the fundamentals of sauces to you name it, right? We get down. Um, that's been going on now for 10 years. The restaurant that you know, most people know, is uh, here in, in Shaker Square, right? That opened 2013. It's fine dining French restaurant. That's also where the six-month program takes place for men and women coming out of the, the criminal justice system or affected by it, okay? This is like the flagship, the crown jewel. Uh, from there, uh, you know, the immediate need I saw in that first couple, that first year, our uh, first couple months was housing. So, just set out to to build housing for students in our program, which is now I uh, started with one building. Now it's got uh, we've got five buildings on campus, right? So the idea was to continue to dig deep, fight, cut off any sort of barrier that exists between someone's success and where they're at today. So housing was a big piece of that. Then it was the campus where we have a, a library and a fitness center, a small store where it's you know things are free, like you know suits and clothes and shoes, you name it. But um, there's also a full court basketball court. We have a small farm. We have a garden, a kids park. And then we expand with family housing. Then we had the butcher shop and bakery right there. So it's a very big uh, part of the block that we occupy on, on Buckeye and Southmoreland, right away, right two blocks away from Shaker Square. 
Uh, we also have Edwin's too, which is where I'm at right now. We just finished up a, uh, a burgundy wine and cheese tasting. Sold it out, man. Good time. I was I was cutting cheese as you were calling me, Peter. I'm sorry, I was a little, little behind, but we got it right in when we needed to. And then um, we've got also a, a lot of uh, prison presence across the country with our tablets. Uh, there's a tablet that's provided by a communication company. We provide the video content, the tests, the quizzes, the curriculum. Inmates are taking that as we speak. And then the Cleveland Browns pay for transportation if you finish that program anywhere in the U.S. So you can start now incarcerated, dreaming, practicing, seeing videos, uh, release, come here with uh, you know on, on the Browns dime, uh, stay in free housing, get paid to go to school, and start to turn your transform your life the way you want to do it. Could you talk a little bit, Brandon, about the, the concept of what you're doing so people understand that uh, a little bit? You know, just... Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the idea is to help men and women who have been affected by the criminal justice system or in the criminal justice system, right? So uh, we'll receive you where you're at. We train you for six months. You know, you work every position. So dining room, kitchen... You get business basics, you name it, man. From nose to toes, we're making sure that you understand the industry that you're in. You're um, you're able to excel at it. You are, um, you know, you're getting the same elite skills you would at the Culinary Institute of America, where I went in New York. But of course, you're getting paid to go through it instead of paying to go through it. Uh, we provide a lot of social services as well, man. So we have a case manager on site. Uh, if you're having issues with anything in life, and uh, David, you know this. If they need to talk to someone here on a professional level, we have volunteers who we work with. If you need um, a driver's license uh, reinstated, we're going to work towards that. Custody of your kids, we're going to help you with that. You know, the idea is to battle all these other barriers so that someone's got a, you know, a pathway moving forward. Now, the truth is, if you don't want to work, this program is not going to work for you, right? You got to still want to do it. It's not a handout. It's definitely a, you know, a hand right there. And, and uh, that's, that's what we do. And I, and I, I know you have certain metrics by which you measure the success of, of your endeavors. Uh, what percentage of the men and women who complete the program are placed in jobs? And do you look at recidivism rates as well? Just, you know, because, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of uh, people who have minds like accountants. And so they want to know uh, the, the, the numbers, the statistics. You know, if, if you're batting 300 or 250, tell, tell us a little bit about um, uh, the metrics you use and, and what it's shown in terms of the success of all of your e efforts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, uh, job placements, I mean, when you graduate the program, you're going to 95% of the time someone finds himself in employment in the next 30 days, right? So it's, it's, it's not hard. I mean, it's really not hard to find a job, but we're, we're more focused on find the, the next best step to complete your career, right? So that's very important. It's about finding where someone's arc is, where they want to go and, and where they're at and what's what's the best next best thing. But yeah, 95%, you can, you can distill that down. Uh, recidivism of our graduates, which is nearly 600, is less than 1%. Uh, nationwide, you're probably hovering around, I don't know, 40 to 60%, you know, depending on how far out you look. But um, yeah, we're, we're definitely hitting well below that average, which is a good thing in, in, in this case. And uh, it, it's really become, like I said, the gold standard in the country. I, I think you, oh, Dave, go ahead. Yeah, it's just unbelievable that you built this thing from scratch. I remember talking to you 
at the restaurant that you were at at the time, uh, Zach Brule's restaurant, about getting this thing started. And it is just so unbelievable. If you could talk about it, how did the dream, it had to start as a dream. And how do you build that? How did you build on that? It's an amazing story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I you got to be a bit stubborn, right? You got to, you got to be able to uh, see something that you know is possible, and just understand that it just takes time to construct. So maybe there's a little bit of patience in there. But I mean, I'm, I'm a terribly impatient person. Uh, but just like an, um, an unwillingness to stop and to get it done, that's really truly what it, what it takes. Like anything else in life, this is no different than um, than anyone else's hard work and dream, right? It's just this one took a long time. I mean, it affected me because I've been in the criminal justice system. Uh, I, I, I had probation instead of hard time. And I met a chef who, who was able to mentor me at, at a young age and, and taught me it's the right, you know, the right way to do something. And, uh, you know, it's not practice that makes perfect, but perfect practice makes perfect. And he beat the fundamentals into me, the techniques and, and all these sort of things at a young age. I mean, I was 19 years old running kitchens. I mean, in a good kitchen, not just like some kitchen that you just throw food out. It's like, you know, with, with some good food, great, great techniques. And, uh, you know, I got out of that. I got out of that city of Detroit. I got a great education at the Culinary Institute of America. I worked under Charlie Trotter. I worked in Michelin three-star in Paris. Uh, I worked in Southern France. I worked in New York City. But along that journey, I would get the calls from back home of, of people that I grew, grew up with or in the kitchen with uh, being murdered, put in prison, either loss of freedom or loss of life altogether. And I just thought there was something I could do given the fact I was here and someone else wasn't, but there was a way to change that. Right. Cause I knew it would work, David. It wasn't hard. It wasn't like impossible because it worked for me. It was a story of my life. I knew it could work. I just had to build it. And that's where the hard work comes in. But if you know, it could just change that one life that maybe of someone you lost that was close. Uh, that's, that's enough burn to keep you going year after year, day after day, it's until, until it gets accomplished. You know, I, I understand one of your, your uh, favorite expressions and saying is that every human being, regardless of their past, has the right to a fair and equal future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's the, obviously the, the philosophical basis of what you do, your day-to-day -day work. You know, when you reflect on your own story, because yours is a story of, to some extent, of redemption, of a second chance, uh, you know, having been placed on probation instead of getting hard time. But what was it, do you think, in 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 Brandon uh, Krostowski that made the difference in you grasping that opportunity that the um, that the the chef that you met uh, offered you, and how do you take what you learned, what you did personally, and try to infuse that into the the six hundred graduates and the others that you've interfaced with to try to give them that second chance, that second opportunity, and to make sure they seize it. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good question, a complex one, but you know, this is just about. Keep staying grounded, I think, is the best way to, to, to describe or answer your question is what, how you presented it. it. It's just staying grounded and not, and not being out of touch. It's not not trying to get out of a um, not trying to get out of any place that I came from. You know, I'm, I'm content in that place and I'm content with the perspective of that place. 
uh, and I, I don't want to lose that place, right? That, that's, that is who I am. It's, it's part of me. And, and I, I really think what, what, what got me was this chef, he believed in me, right? But there was also uh, some fate involved. I mean, who's, who's to say I was going to walk in that kitchen that day he was there? could have been one of a million doors I walked through. It happened to be his, and this is what happened. So the way he took to me and the way I took to the kitchen, it was just um, it was meant to be, right? It was just meant to be. Uh, but, you know, you, just, you stay grounded. You can connect with people. I, I, mean, I can certainly resonate where someone's coming from uh, because I've been there before. I'm still there today, right? I mean, we're all struggling each day. I'm not trying to buy my way out of it with nice clothes or a car. I just, you know. Simple, simple folk, really, right? Want to raise a good family and, and just stay grounded. And that's the key to this all, right? You, we don't have television at home. I, I haven't had TV probably since the early 2000, 2000 2001. Uh, I just don't believe in, in suppressing emotions or blurring what the reality of things are. When COVID hit, man, head down, buckled through it. We doubled business. I saw with my eyes. I wasn't listening to the media. Didn't surrender to fear. Just knew that we had to keep people employed and you know a lot of us have families to support and there's a community to feed uh, you know when you just stay connected and they're not listening to all the the things that can blur your instincts you're generally going to find a, a a way to um you know way to way to pass on something knowledge or it's all about connectivity so stay to stay connected you got to stay grounded <laughs> stay grounded you got you can't be blurred and you didn't allow those obstacles like over the pandemic to get in your way. You just plowed through that. Right? Yeah, I, I would say so for sure, David. Um, you know, the, the, nothing changed during the pandemic except, except the world around us. Uh, I've always been a survivor. What we do, we're, we're, we're surrounded by survivors. Uh, we're just trying to make you know, make life happen. And I think the, the best thing about it is uh, we just knew what we were fighting for. So an obstacle didn't seem like an obstacle, it just seemed like the only pathway. So you just go through it. And I think hard work wins, man. No matter what, you can outwork something or somebody and you can just, you, you can get through it. Was there any one thing that that chef said to you when you were having your struggles just stuck with you that maybe lit your fire something that he did something that he said i don't think it was any one thing i just think generally someone willing to accept you for who you are um and and, and offer a pathway to a, a better place you know whatever that place is it's different for all of us i think that's what he did most man just his energy of allowing that to, to happen and flourish uh, it didn't come without working hard or you know, taking shots from people or this or that, but you know, it's what it, he gave me that shot. He gave me that shot to shoot. I thought maybe there's sometimes there's that one thing that just for whatever reason just kind of clicks, you know. But that's okay. Uh, you know, it, it, the the other day when we were the three of us were chatting, just in preparation for today, we remarked how Zach Brule, who also was in the high school class with with David and me. And how when we knew him back in high school, there was no evidence whatsoever that he would go on to become a great chef and restaurateur. That would have been the last thing. We uh, I'm curious, did you ever have any even instincts or interest in the culinary arts before you encountered uh, 
of this the chef who, who really made such a difference in your life? Yeah, I mean, I can say so. I mean, just being around, you know, a mother who's always cooking, right? And then a, a grandmother who was always in the kitchen, right? I mean, the foods are, foods in you somehow, some way it's in you. And uh, maybe it started coming out as, I mean, one of my first jobs was waiting tables. Then it was then another place, an Italian restaurant. I mean, I, I was always around that sort of energy and and, um, and vibe. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was nothing that, that like stood out. And, and this career, like, like, you know, many, many others, there's, there's maybe one savant in the world ever, right? I mean, it's, it's not like that. You just got to hang with the game. You got to hang with the game. You got to work around the best to be the best. You got to put yourself on that level and continue on that level. And that's, that's where the rubber hit the road. It wasn't something in my youth that said, hey, I, I love it. It's kind of, I, I felt at home when I was in a kitchen and worked hard to hang with the, hang with the best. Well, let me ask you, if you had walked in the door and it was of a movie studio, do you think you, you would have become a, a great director and producer of film? I'm just just interested. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> um, with a little bit of this, this feedback. Uh, now, you're... Now you've traveled extensively and lived extensively throughout the United States and and in a, a, a France. Tell tell us about your experience when you were in Paris. I mean, which is kind of viewed as the epicenter for the culinary arts and for sophistication and culture. What was what was that experience? And how long were you in uh, France, honing your craft? Yeah, uh, good question. You know. Um... So I was in France for under a year. I, I got to tour. I started in central France where I, uh, at a Michelin two-star under a chef named Jean Bardet, who was a fantastic chef, a, a totally crooked chef, though, man. He was a funny guy. The guy would put, um, you know, he'd take a bottle of Chateau Petrus or Margot, and he'd put different wine, like, and say it was Petrus or Margot, and he would sell it. He, he got caught, dude. They take a star away. He'd get the star back. He got caught. They take a star away. He'd give it back. I mean, it was this game he played. But he was um he was a pioneer in the '80s. He was the first to really infuse Asian cuisine along with the French cuisine. The prime minister took good uh, good taking of this. He was he was famous, man, and his name is Gold. But um, yeah, I got to work with him, and that's where I, I started. And then I started writing letters to all over uh, the Michelin three stars in France. You know. And uh, three of them said yes to accept me, one of which was from Paris. It happened to be the longest-standing Michelin three-star in Paris. Um, mm. It was a great time, man. I mean, uh, what I learned, I mean, I learned probably the most important lesson, hard work doesn't have a language. You know, it didn't look at who you are, gender, ethnicity, religion, uh, anything. They just Hard work is hard work, and it's universally understood. And... I'm a hard worker, man. I mean, I'm a dog. I get in these kitchens and I just work, work, work. And there's no there's no throttle on my work level. Uh, so it was accepted very, very quickly. I'm a hard worker. Okay. Attitude, maybe not the best, you know, I had a little chip on my shoulder, but the kitchen will work that out of you over time. But the uh, it was a great time. I can't complain. They, they, they weren't too kind to Americans. Um, I didn't have a lot of money, you know. It's like one of these things I tell people, they say, uh, I want to work in France. I want to do this. I say, just, you know, imagine just going to a, 
uh, a store and not being able to afford a chocolate bar, you know, when you're, you're, you don't have anything, like you have to understand, it's the best thing because you just boil yourself down to cooking and your body and you absorb all these little nuances. And it's a bad thing because you want the chocolate bar, right? It's not an easy place to be. So it was a good time, man. Good travels. Um, I got I got no complaints and it certainly projected my career or propelled it in, in, a, in a great direction. It sounds like this John, sounds like this John Bardot would have had three, four or five stars if he could keep from losing them because of his shenanigans. Dude, he, 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 he was always he was in that always kitchen with a cigar. With a cigar. He was always hanging out in that kitchen with a cigar in his mouth. He'd take the cigar out. He'd taste the sauce. And the guy had the best palate I've ever met. He, uh, he was just a funny guy, man. He's a funny guy. Is he still around? Jean is. Yeah, I had asked him a while ago to come out to Cleveland be a guest chef. Uh, he, it didn't work out because of any scheduling arrangements, but yeah, he was alive and well. His family's doing well. His, um, I think his daughter is... Son-in-law opened a restaurant in the same town of tour, but uh, yeah, good, good people. And, and talking about, you just mentioned his family. Talk a little bit about your own family. You're married and uh, and have children. Share a little bit about them, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, we're married. Um, three kids, man, seven, five, and one. So we are um, we're staying busy to say the least, man. Uh, family's great, dude. They're all athletic. They all get in the kitchen. You know, they'll work. Uh, you know, not for a long time, but I make sure uh, that you have, um, you know, as of two years ago, the kids would be able to come in the kitchen. They'll garnish plates. Maybe they'll put some snails in the, the pan. They'll polish glassware. So they're around the game. They understand the dynamics of working hard. Uh, that's very important. But most of all, do we just kind of we just we just enjoy each other when we have that time because time is scarce, man. You know how it is. If you you have a way of finding time where there isn't any time, I mean you're unbelievable. We have a question from the from the audience uh, that I want to pass by. Is uh, how did uh, the restaurant get its name, Edwin's? <laughs> I know Easy. The so it, it's it's my middle name, right? So uh, for the longest time, when I was a child. I mean, I was 16, 17. I wanted a restaurant called Edwin's because I started working in a restaurant. You know, whether it was serving or whatnot. Uh, and as time grew and I still wanted that restaurant, this concept came to mind. And I just said, if I capitalize it and use it as a mantra, education wins. I've got the best of all worlds, man. I've got the mind. I've got the soul. And that's how, that's how it all came about. And as if you haven't contributed enough to humanity and to the downtrodden, talk about your recent trip to Poland. Sure, sure. The, 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 the trip, uh, sad but good is the best way to describe it. You know, people ask me, how was it? You know, sad to see the, I mean, it, you can imagine a Costco filled with women and children. And just the sheer proportion, that was just one. I was in three different towns. Uh, the sheer proportion of people who were in need, especially of women and children, it was, just, it was incredible. And they were uh, Ukrainian, that's what I U did. Ukrainian refugees, correct? Yeah, 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 So uh, cooking there was uh, was easy to do. Just the, the emotions of seeing all the other things wasn't the, wasn't the best. Uh, I also worked with the Ukraine World Congress. Got to know a lot of things going, you know, happening there and, and around. Uh, so yeah, it was a it was a good trip, David. It was a good trip, but just sad to see these sort of things. 
on that scale, man. I mean, the strongest man would or woman would come through the door and just a couple steps, you'd start to cry because it's just so, so much. Can't imagine. You wrote a, a wonderful op-ed piece working with Ukrainian refugees that was absolutely inspirational. Um, and it's, you know, we, we, we need to make sure that in the rush of uh, the latest flavor of the month that we never uh, take our eyes away from some of the carnage that's taking place across the world in Ukraine and in other spots um, where there's war, where there's famine, that is really just destroying human life and altering it in a way that's anything but positive. So uh, so when, when, when I introduced you earlier as humanitarian, I was thinking both about your experience in, in Poland and going off on that trip, as busy as you are with uh, uh, an empire to run, so to speak, but uh, certainly also about uh, the mission of Edwin's. And I, I love that education, education wins and using your middle name in that kind of way. Um, you know, it, it's interesting, the, as busy as you are, and, and this is kind of interesting because you played baseball and basketball in high school. You, you still play in, in a, over 30 league baseball team when time permits how did you find your way to hockey and i and, and doesn't your son your son play hockey how does a basketball player end up on the ice it's, it's detroit to me man i mean like you grew up on it's one. It's one of those things in Detroit. It's it's in the blood. It's in the city. You you gotta you gotta respect it. You gotta love it. When I when I was younger, we couldn't afford a whole lot, right? So, hockey wasn't something that was natural because of the time, because of the money. But I loved it. You know, I just loved it. And um, you know, seeing the Red Wings win all those Stanley Cups, uh, just being a you know overall athlete and sports fan, just it was always in me. So. Um, I was uh, 39. I was going on 40, and I decided to say, "Hey, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna start officiating hockey, right? I know how to skate, not very well, but I, I'll I'll get better." And I just started doing it, man. And then within a year or two, I jumped two levels of officiating, and then it's enough to be able to do Division One college hockey, you know. So, uh, I, I mean, it, to me, it's my yoga, right? Everyone's got to have a release, you know. I'll do I don't do a whole lot of games, maybe three games four games, five at most a week. I'll try to do it on off hours or in like, you know, afternoons and the weekends in between the, the busyness of the restaurant. But uh, dude, it's a blast, man. You get out there, you gotta be able, you gotta be focused, you gotta be locked in. Physically, you're moving the whole time. And the higher level they get, man, you better you better be able to skate because they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna maul you. So it's a, uh, dude, it's a blast, man, it's a blast. Uh, Brandon, just so you know, uh, a guy that is in the waiting in the wings to be coaching the Detroit Red Wings is a guy from Shaker Heights who, Simon, who Simon. by the name of Ben Simon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he grew up in Shaker and played hockey there, played in the NHL, and he was their interim coach for a couple of games this past season. So 
we got a real connection here from Cleveland and Detroit, and it's all tied together. There you go. Yeah, so Will Simon, his brother, is the guy who was the referee for the game I lined for at the, the college level. And, yeah, his his brother actually coached the Red Wings. I think he's the only undefeated coach in the NHL history because he, he coached one game, and he won. <laughs> right? That's pretty cool. Yeah, and I coached both of those guys when they were kids. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I, I'm curious. You know, there's a lot of things happening in a hockey game. Pumps are flying. Sticks are being thrown about. I assume you've been fortunate and never been hit by an errant puck or stick yet. <laughs> well, yeah, it happens. I mean, just, just, I don't know. You just keep moving. <laughs> oh, Brandon, I got to ask, you do everything, okay? Yep. There's got to be something that you haven't tried yet or haven't done that's on your list of something you want is there anything like that that you haven't done yet that you're wanting to give a shot at yeah so yes, bull, bull riding bull riding <laughs> man and my wife she knows a cowboy out in um, geauga county who trains bulls so, i mean i can get on one i just got to find a time to get out there and step on it uh she said the guy would only let me sit in it while it's in the in the in the rack, you know what I mean. But I want I want to at least go a little bit with this 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 bowl. Well, we're gonna do a live broadcast uh, with that. We got we got to be out there for that one. <laughs> Peter, but, Peter, you got but at but at a safe distance. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, you gotta let me wear the hat, man. <laughs> you want to wear the hat while you go in the bull? You got it. <laughs> It might yeah, be the last said, hat. It may be the last hat you ever put on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, it's it's something about the beast, man. It's a big animal. You know, that thing's moving hard, and, and just to see what the human body can do as a part of this this um, this competition or connection would be kind of interesting, man. I'm I'm still up for it. My wife she says I don't think you should do it. What? what you know, I I had the opportunity to go watch a bullfight once, and. Uh, uh, being the matador just seems to that's such a romantic figure the matador so that kind of intrigued me and you know i thought about the running of a bull that seemed a little bit interesting but but riding a bull bull riding that would probably be my <laughs> third choice as regards a bull <laughs> i'm gonna have to line up with your wife brandon on that and say advise you know, find something you know maybe a how about riding a German Shepherd or something like that? Maybe a little safer. And I'm sure your wife wants to make sure your insurance is paid up before you take a flyer <laughs> on a bull. <laughs> She's got three kids to raise, Brandon. <laughs> dude, 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 dude. Hey, it's, it's like riding a bull, those kids. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Good point. Um, you, you know, Dave was referencing this early. You managed to pack in more in 24 hours than most people. And I guess, you know, I know one of the things you like to say is, hey, just make it happen. And that's obviously a mantra that served you well throughout your whole life. You know, they, they recommend that um, um, uh, adults get seven to nine hours sleep. I, I can't imagine that you're in that anywhere near that. I think that's subjective. <laughs> Say that again, and a little reverb. Yeah, I think yeah, it's a subjective, subjective comment. comment. 
it's got to be case by case. Well, how much do you sleep every night? I get it in, man. I get it in five, six hours. I don't think that I'm, I'm lacking five, six hours. That seems to be working all right. Um, again, I mean, you got to think about a couple things. You know, I'm, I'm really big into health, nutrition, and how your body's processing oxygen, how, how much of your breath are you actually taking in, how are your cells recharged, Um so health, fitness, and then like those 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 um, things on the edge, whether it's like cryo-freeze, ozone therapies, all this kind of stuff works. And it's, so it's not definitely quantity. I think it's more quality. And so you, you may be breathing. I may be breathing, but I think that I'm getting more out of that oxygen per breath. And I think my body's processing it in a more efficient manner. And I think the same thing for sleep. Now, you're... You know, one of the interesting things that, that you shared was that you have, uh, in addition to, you know, being an entrepreneur, in addition to being a, an official officiating hockey games, in addition to being a, a, a dad and a husband, that you've also done a little bit of teaching at uh, my alma mater at Harvard. Tell us how that came about and uh, what was that experience like for you? Yes, yeah, so the first time around, this could be like riding a bull as well. That's for sure. <laughs> the first time around was during the pandemic. We did some online stuff, right? That's how they teach the business school at Harvard via case studies of people actually doing the work, right? And they take a look at these models and they they analyze. Um, they go through the. It will be next week. I don't have a calendar in front of me, but I think it's like the um, the tenth or eleventh. I'll go out to Cambridge and I'll do it in person. Uh, again, just, you know, when you, when you like the national model for something, people take notice and then they always want to analyze. They want to try to figure it out. Like, how does it work? What's the best practice and all these, it's the same shit, different school kind of thing. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, I'll find out more about the in-person here coming up and just talk about what we do and some of the best practices and the pillars. And, um, you know, these, these academics can analyze it and process it however they're Mind see fit. <laughs> and I'll, I'll get on a plane back to Cleveland. What about, what about replication? Uh, has this model been adopted elsewhere? I mean, it, you know, um, people don't need to reinvent the wheel. They can look and study what you did. And this should be something with the prison population being what it is in the United States and with the number of men and women who on a daily basis are being released from penal institutions. There ought to be programs like this in each and every community across the country. Why Why not? Is it the people lack the, what is it that's lacking where people aren't latching onto this model and replicating it elsewhere? Hey, David, how many no-hitters there have been in Baseball World Series? Just Koufax? Uh, Don Larson. Don Larson. Yeah. One. 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 So how come there – I mean, the, the pitcher's mound 60 feet 6 inches. It's never changed. The ball is still the same. The field's still relatively the same. How come there hasn't been more? It's a good idea not to let anyone hit off you. 
All right. I'm waiting for uh, Brandon's answer there. There's, there's, he's, or is that a rhetoric question yeah, about it? It's, it's the players in the field. You know what I mean? It's the players in the field. It's the ecosystem. Uh, there's only 127 Yankees, right? Uh, you, you think about all these things that go into something that's so human dependent. It, there's not a manufactured product here. Uh, yes, the need to win a championship in sports is great for every city. However, only one team does it, right? So, Peter, it's not so much the need or the, the, the analytics of what makes sense and what the supply and demand or et cetera is. It's where can a team be formed that's going to have the wherewithal, the scope, the vision, the um, determination. You, you know I mean, all these sort of things to make something like this become possible because it's really impossible to do. And, and that's where it lies. Um, you know, we've opened this up in, in Medina with the recovery community. We've done one on the west side with a homeless shelter called Ohio City Pizzeria. We worked in Cincinnati. We worked in San Francisco. We've helped people take their project from here to where it needs to go. But the moment you start getting into these conversations where you have to tell somebody, listen, Peter, when you wake up today, you're going to be in fourth place. Okay. Your, 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 your business and your community are coming one, two. Your family's coming third. You're coming fourth. Okay, man. And in this culture today, nobody wants to be in fourth place. They want to be the loudest person in the room. They want to have the most money in the room. They want to have the most. It just doesn't fit a servant leader in this today's culture like it would or like it should. It takes a greater equal amount of force to move an object. It's basic physics. So when you're trying to take someone's life from where it's at to where it needs to go, it takes a force and and you have to align that team. You have to align that city. You have to, I mean, Cleveland's a great city for this. They support, they come out, they do more. You have to align so many things that what makes sense on paper, if it made sense on paper, there should be more poverty or racism should be eradicated or hunger should be gone. Of course, it makes sense on paper, but now try doing it, right? Whole different story. So that's why is it, although we've done it a couple of times and replicated the theory of it, the, uh, the impact is still yet to be replicated. I think that's just, not, it comes down to humans, man. It comes down to humans. Finding another Brandon, finding other Brandons. Do you have any dream of extending this nationally? Yeah, we do it in consulting. You know, I just got back from Santa Fe last week. Uh, we consulted there with a, a city and a group, and we're going to continue to work with them. Uh, Brooklyn, New York, it looks like uh, talk today. We might have something off the ground in September. Uh, that's, uh, you know, that's coming up soon. But these are all places where we'll go in, we'll help set up and guide, direct, and then slowly back out once they get their feet under them. Uh, so that's the way we do it. Having another Edwin's is not the goal, right? I, I don't have that, that, that complex in my head. I, I just want to do something great. And, and, and then if something follows that, like accolades and, and you know, visibility, great. If not, we are still great helping people. The one place I think there is an opportunity is with a, like a reentry service center, like a place where anyone coming out of prison can come to and, and get their, their basics, find their, their footing, be connected to job training or jobs themselves. It, it sounds like a no-brainer here in Cleveland, Ohio, and Cuyahoga County. We're really one of the, you know, in front of the pack. But throughout the country, as I go places, they, they lack this one piece. 
And it's it's a tremendous um, detriment to a lot of things, especially the reentry population. Uh, the idea of uh, visibility and education about reentry is diminished. The services for that person directly are diminished. But um, using our expertise, our reputation, we can certainly set up reentry service centers around the country, which are definitely expandable because it's a different, less of a touch than a restaurant would be. Um, but definitely a way to expand our, our, our mission. You mentioned a couple of concepts that I'd like you to expand on. You mentioned you mentioned uh, your pillars, the pillars, and you also mentioned servant leadership. Could you talk about those two concepts? What are the pillars? And tell people a little bit about servant leadership. Yeah, I don't think it's, I mean, it's nothing that I've made up or, or should get credit for. And I've heard that term before, servant leader, but essentially it's someone, you know, putting, you know, making sure you're leading by serving. I mean, I guess it's just flip the words around. There's your definition. It's not managing from the ivory tower or from a, um, you know, from an isolated place. It's it's being on the ground serving and then, and then, and then watching that is, is how you help people you know, follow the leader, right? That's what you do. So it's just about being sacrificial and about demonstrating that you can do it so everyone else should be doing it. Um, you get that, right? I don't think it's over the head, but it's easier said than done because it just requires more time, more hours, more energy. Uh, it takes a toll on the body and the mind, right? So you got to keep up with that. Um, yeah, so that's the best I can say. I mean, for our pillars, I mean, there's, there's a few that I tell people that really help you know, bolster what we have here. And, you know, the first being meeting people where they're at, you know, we don't tend to look at someone where they came from or, you know, how they present themselves. It's just like, where do you, this is who you are. Where do you want to go? And it's a strange concept for some HR departments, right? Cause they want to get, in the, I know everything and, and I get that, but uh, yeah, pillar number one is meet someone where they're at, take them where they want to go. Uh, second pillar is to teach the top, you know, excellence is always employable. Uh, recessions are still selling Lamborghinis, okay? I mean, if you're great at what you do, you're going to have a job. So um, and it's also fulfilling, right? I mean, I don't know who wakes up every day and says, I can't wait to be mediocre, right? I mean, it's about waking up saying I can be great. Uh, the third is making sure we show the entire perspective of, of the, the industry that we're in. If it's a different industry, you can share this these practices, but you know, someone works every position in the restaurants. It gives them an idea of how each side is working in connection with each other, what your action causes that reaction, um, you know, all, all the way down to that, that customer. You, you know, you have to know how it works. It also helps our graduates who, who move on and, and work into another restaurant. And, and, and perhaps that other restaurant is just using them like another gear in the wheel, right, to, to, to make it move. And and although they want the opportunity to become a sous chef or a, the, the, the meat cook, they're not getting that opportunity because of different circumstances. Our students know that they should move on because they know they can do that. They know if they're, they're willing to do it, that there's a good mentor to help them do it. It just might not be at that restaurant. So showing the perspective of the industry, uh, caring, right? It doesn't look like having to build housing and all these things that we've done, but uh, I think it's important to know a circumstance where someone's running late doesn't mean they don't care. Um, you might want to look at these situations a little bit more and have a dialogue about them. And 
I understand people got to run businesses. So do I, but I can, I can help work with someone and, and get them to a better place in terms of their tardiness by examining what's wrong. Like just talking and say, what's going on? Well, there's all these barriers, these, 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 you know, and it's just maybe making some small adjustments and day by day changing your approach until you get to where you, you, you want to be and where we need you to be. Right. It just takes time. Meeting someone where they're at it doesn't mean they're going to look like us, talk like us, show on, you know, show up like us. It just, it just, it's, sometimes it takes time. Um, and then last thing is getting out of the way. You know, we want to make sure we get out of the way of people and not have them be beholden to us because we've taught you something. or do. That's not the case. You know, move on. Go forward. All we want you to do is be the best you can be and, and then let us be your network if you need that. Okay. So those five pillars we take to manufacturers and other places that want to do these, these this, this sort of um, focus and philosophy, and and we found that it works. And a lot of the pillars that you mentioned define uh, servant leadership. Uh, there's 10 basic principles of servant leadership, and you identified some of them in those pillars, so there you go. You know, it's interesting because you said at the beginning you're an impatient guy. However, you got to have a lot of patience to be working, people patience, to be working with the population that you're working with. Yes, I suppose. I don't know if you ever thought of it that way, but you you do. You just having the patience when somebody's tardy to work with them to figure out what to change. That takes patience. And you know something that's interesting, David, along those lines, and I say this as a member of two unions, but if every employer had the same perspective and to try to figure out what was going on with an individual employee, why they were late, why they were underperforming, and gave that kind of personal attention, then we probably wouldn't have unions um, because unions exist because of the friction that's traditionally been extant between and the distance and the dissonance between the employer and the employee. The, the other thing that really resonated when you were talking about mediocrity, and nobody wants to be mediocre. I, I used to go to whenever I'm invited to um, to give kind of a pep talk, a career day speech at a school, I would always ask the students, how many of you here want to be mediocre, want to be average? Nobody raises their hand. But the difference between mediocrity and excellence is hard work. And it's clear, you know, I, in, in, if, if any, if there's any takeaway, you aren't afraid of putting in the work, whatever it requires, putting in the time and uh, making that kind of challenging commitment because not everybody's willing to work. As a matter of fact, I think in today's world, uh, working is probably the sixth most favorite way to make a living after getting a lottery, getting an inheritance, uh, you know, a scamming somebody, uh, but anything other than hard work. So I salute that. And if you just want to, you know, get a little bit more. Having a strong work ethic that will take you from obscurity and mediocrity to excellence. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, Peter, you might've cut out on that, um, 
was it a oh, question? I heard I heard the statement, but there was a part that kind of cut out with the volume. But, but, and, and the question was, if you could just elaborate a little bit more on the absolute critical importance and ingredient of hard work and diligence and perseverance and resiliency in taking yourself from obscurity and mediocrity to excellence. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know. To me, it's just a way of life, and maybe it's just a burn. Okay, but uh, I, I guess the end goal is what is it all about, right? If you, if it's not a connection to, I mean, well, why would you want to work hard if the end goal or end result was it wasn't anything, right? Like, why, what what's the motivation? So I suppose. Like the anatomy of what you just said boils down to what's the motivation, you know, the why, what what are you trying to do? And, and then from there, I think that you can start to build this, like, you know, this environment of of, of hard work and tenaciousness and all these other things that we, we associate with, um, you know, what you described. But if there's no driver in this whole thing, there's no sense in working, right? If it's the end of it all, is just a, a bag of rocks and then, what's the big deal with a bag of rocks right but making that connection to what someone is striving to do or, or trying to do i think is, is a secret sauce you know a lot of you know talks i'll give and it's generally employers or you know people struggling and they're just not not grasping this idea of why they can't find the workforce or why they can't find um to me it's just if you're putting someone's life first, right, and what they're trying to do and achieve, and we do that here at Edwin's with our students, right? The money is almost secondary, right? So throwing money at people like Amazon isn't working. They're turning people over. Like, it's something alarming, man. Like 60% of their staff every couple of weeks. It, it, I think there needs to be a hard, uh, you know, a hard look at where someone wants to be developing plans and and helping them get to those those goals. And then as a secondary, uh, you know, importance, work, okay? Because that's really not, what, is not what's motivating people is the job at hand, right? Uh, oftentimes, it's, it's where they want to go personally. Uh, think about your hobbies. You know, everyone's got a hobby. And, and, like, how much do you think about your hobby? How much do you get paid for your hobby? <laughs> it's usually nothing. You're thinking about it all the time. So... Identifying with what's important to someone, where someone's trying to go, I think is is, is really essential to this conversation. This conversation of hard work is just hard work is just it's, it's a dangerous word when you you don't have context. I know we're kind of reaching the end of our hour. We try to stay within an hour, but there's one question I just have to you. You said earlier in the interview that you have no television in your home. No, 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 and your kids, and your kids haven't rebuilt. So, um, no, talk a little bit about that choice. That, that's an unusual choice because what the average American, the average ch uh, child watches what four or five hours of TV a day. The average adult even more. You've got a thousand channels, uh, you know, reality shows, sports shows, etc. Talk a little bit about that decision that you made as a family and uh, what not having a TV has allowed you to do in terms of uh, forging a relationship with within the family, strengthening the family. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely yeah, quality over quantity. quantity. It's definitely, you know, I mean, for me, it was an easy decision. I felt like I was being suppressed when, when I would turn the TV on. And I'm going back to like the early 2000s, man, like 2000, 2001. And I just felt like um, there's a better outlet for my energy and emotion than sitting in front of a television or, or you know, watching a movie or something like that. There was other things that I could be doing physically to, to uh, do something that's constructive, right? I mean, it was like no brainer. And I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stop watching television. And then, and that's where it began. And, and uh, big fan of radio, you know what I mean? Like, you know, radio is always rocking. There's some song on playing something, right? So there's, there's something going on. Uh, my wife, you know, she was, she's really big. She likes going to movies, you know, uh, Peter, you know, Bob, her and Bob used to go to the movies all the time and they still go frequently here and there, but, uh, you know, she kind of got it, you know, and, and, and said, so, you know, it's not really not, it's, it's better to connect with each other and talk about our days and not have that distraction around. And I, I don't know how she, I guess she found out it's pretty healthy too. Our kids really don't know much better, right? They'll see cartoons of grandma and grandpas, but their life as they know it doesn't have a TV around them. So they're not, there's no rebellion yet. But, uh, you know, what has it done? I think that quantity over quality, you know, we connect at home. We, you know, we share each other's day. We, we, we have stories. We talk about food or this or that. And there's not an interruption or distraction, you know, like our kids aren't half baked, man. They're not like these mashed potato heads being like, oh, okay, yeah, uh, I, I got to get my fix, right? That's it's really bad these these games, this television, but it's it's kind of screwed me socially sometimes, you know. Um, I would think like if something big happens, I'm, I'm kind of ghost and I don't really know about it. Uh, when I was invited to the White House, I know Kim Kardashian was there, and and Peter, I thought she was checking me out, but. It wasn't Kim Kardashian. I thought it was. It wasn't. So that at the Academy Awards, um, I was, you know, at the Governor's Ball afterwards. You know, uh, we got nominated for the Oscars. So the Governor's Ball, everyone's there, man. You know, Kobe was there, Mary J. We were hanging with everyone. It was really sweet. And I went up to a guy who I thought was Michael Douglas, and I said, you know, Michael, I, I want you to check out this film, Knife Skills. It's a great film. You know, we didn't win the Oscar, but it, it made it. And uh, I hope you can check it out. And he was kind of smug about the whole thing. So I told the the, the producer of the movie, I said, dude, this, this dick, man. I mean, I was trying to tell him about the film. And, and this guy, Douglas, and he, goes, he goes, you idiot. He goes, that was Christopher Walkins. And I said, well, whatever. Let's go to the next one. You know what I mean? So, like, socially, it's kind of screwed me in some situations. But whatever. Like, I don't think that guy's losing sleep over it, you know. Do you let your kids play video games? No. No. Do they complain? No, they, they ice skate, man. They'll be ice skating. They'll play, they'll play with Legos. I mean, they'll do something other than that. But, I mean, it's it's really not the pathway to someone being successful, I think, in their in their, in their their life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it very quickly. Say it, say it loud. Tell us, a, tell us a little bit more because we, we didn't delve into this, and we should have. Dave, you and I have been remiss. Yeah, you had an Oscar-nominated uh, documentary. Mm -hmm. That's a couple of years ago. That's, that's old news now, but it's news nonetheless. It's 2018. Yeah, it was pretty sweet, man. I mean, the whole um, the, 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 the the movie took about five, six years to film. And then uh, when released, I mean, the guy who, who did it, 
They had already won NASCAR, utmost integrity. Uh, you don't find people like this often in, in, in this sort of business, right? These, the amount I've said no to Hollywood or other other places just wanting to get their greasy palms on someone's hard luck is, is, is embarrassing, right? So there's a lot of bad people out there. This man was not one of them. Um, he took his time. He did it with integrity. He displayed the difficulties behind second chances. Uh, and I think that I think he, he got what he deserved. That's an Oscar nomination, man. It was really powerful. But to see that film is still good, I was you know reluctant to believe that film could still be good. And, uh, it really is making some differences out there, you know. It really is. Well, I can That's... I can tell you as an actor, I would love to have an Oscar nomination. So for, for, for so for me, you're having an Oscar nomination is a really big deal. You're, you're now even more my hero and inspiration. Yeah. Hey, Peter. So when the guy called me, I was in bed, uh, and I was laying with my kid, and he calls me. He's like, he's got this um, English accent. He says, Brandon, we did it. We've got the nomination. We're going to LA. I said, I said, Tom, that's great news. I said. Uh, this it's amazing okay well, just tell me what's going to happen next right and then my wife comes upstairs she's like you know this shit's got to go outside right now and the dishes are I, said, Fuck. I said all right i'll, I'll just get to work <laughs> I, I don't think i told her until a week or two later i was like you know just so you know there's got this oscar nomination <laughs> wow wow hey but a family a family kids and a wife do have a way of putting things quickly in perspective. You, you're not. You're a big dog, but only for about thirty seconds, and in your own mind. <laughs> That's the truth. I mean, you know it, but you understand. Yeah. You, you did it. What did, what did, what did she do when she finally heard you won an Oscar? You got an Oscar nomination. Yeah, she said the same thing everyone else said. Can I get a ticket? <laughs> I don't know. I don't fucking know. I don't know. Let me let me ask. I mean, it's like I don't know. It's kind of funny, but you know, yeah. Well, you're one up, Peter, and I are even when it comes to Oscar nominations. <laughs> and we all have the same number of Super Bowl rings as the Cleveland Browns. And you know, but our our first guest between the two of them on our first episode had what nine? How many rings? Super Bowl rings? Was it seven? Nine? Five. It was a lot. Yeah, we had a couple of guys uh, that I am friends with that are uh, uh, Sherman Smith, who uh, went to three Super Bowls with the Seattle Seahawks, and Dylan McCullough, who uh, a couple of Super Bowl rings with the Kansas City Chiefs. They're both coaches. So uh, that was our first guest. Uh, so, so, so there so you all go. Of our, all of our guests are li living our dreams. They've realized our dreams of. Super Bowl rings and Oscar nominations. There you go. That's well, Brandon, right. what can I say? Um, an hour is not long enough to chat with you, my friend, because we've, we've scratched the surface. I think we scratched it well, but uh, there's certainly so much more that we could, uh, we would love to engage you in further conversation, but this has been an outstanding hour. And we apologize for some of the, the minor technical difficulties with the um, feedback and reverb. But um, I think your message is to come across quite strong in terms of who you are as a person, what motivates you, and clearly that you, as much as anybody I know in Northeast Ohio, 
is making a difference in people's lives in a meaningful, long-lasting way. I mean, you are, whether sung or unsung, you're a, a champion here in Northeast Ohio and in our nation. I wish uh, there yeah. were more BCs, like, uh, you know, more, more Brandon Kraskowski's, so. There is, you're way beyond Northeast Ohio. You're doing something that nobody else is doing. You're one of a kind and uh, a salute to you for all that you do for our community uh, and the world. Thank you. Yeah, it was a blast, man. This is good. We'll, we'll do it again sometime. Why we not? Let's do that. Part two. We will do that. DC part Thank two. You. Okay. Part two. Tell your family hi. Part two. We'll do. Thanks, guys. Bye bye, Dad. Good night, everybody. Thanks for tuning in.